Dare we open Pandora's mystic box? To every generation, a slayer is born, except this time, there were six. This is the dimension of imagination. You are entering the mystic zone. Do you ladies see that aura? Something wonderful this way comes. Welcome, listeners. This is the Mystic Order of East Alabama podcast. I am Mystic Mary. I'm the Nebulous Mystic. And I'm Mystic Margie, the Illuminator Mystic. I'm Mystic Marion, the Dog Whisperer Mystic. And I'm the Queen, Gail, the Mystic Queen. We are so excited to have a special guest with us today. We have Mary Helen Brown, and she comes all the way from Texas except she stopped by Auburn, Alabama for about 30 years, so she's really in our neighborhood. She's an author and, a, and a, good, a good old person. Mary Helen, will you introduce yourself? I am, in fact, Mary Helen Brown from Center, Texas. My father used to say he was happy to be among August company, even when it was July, so I'm really happy to be here. I came to Auburn through a rather circuitous path. I, I'm the type of person who constantly makes poor decisions and they turn out fairly well. So I've lived in Texas, Louisiana, Kentucky, back to Texas, up to Wisconsin, where I gave up a job when I wasn't sure I'd be offered a job at Auburn University. Thankfully I was, and then it seems to have stuck, and I've been here ever since. But Auburn is your favorite, right? Oh, I don't know. I'm right fond of Center Texas and try to get back there home that red dirt. Auburn has red dirt, too. Yeah, we've got plenty of red dirt. It's called, here's a new word, ultasoils. That's the word I learned recently. It means red dirt. Did you know there was a word for red dirt? No idea. So that is a really good segue, Mary Helen, because we were sort of going to talk about stories today. I just heard a quote. I think it's Tolstoy who said, there are only two stories in all the great literature. A stranger comes to town and a man goes on a journey. So you've opened up with a nice journey from center to, to Auburn. And I'm curious about that theory about all the good stories. Well, my mom always said it came from one of two places, the Bible or Shakespeare. Okay. So maybe Tolstoy is on to something. Well, when I started planning to talk today about stories, I was reading the ultimate storyteller, Pat Conroy, and he recommended a book to his readers as he did many times in the book. And so I looked this book up on Amazon. It was called Infinite Jest, and I always read the customer's review, and I wanted to tell you this since you're all story writers, and you will be customer-reviewed too. But this is my Mm. favorite review ever. Out of a mountain of books, this is possibly the worst writing I've ever read. (laughs) (laughs) Each sentence feels as if they were crafted by two separate children being viciously beaten with a thesaurus. Oh, (laughs) I had a full-blown migraine by the second chapter. By the third, I wanted to blow my brains out. It's pretentious garbage. Do not fall for it. I can't wait to pulp this waste of a forest. I'll make a fantastic paper mache for my next sculpture. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I definitely want to read that book now. I was gifted that book a few years ago by the press that published it. (laughs) 
Is that your review? Was that your review, Mary? No, no, no. If I don't have something nice to say, I don't say anything at all. Oh. (laughs) I guess you're not talking. (laughs) And when did you start this? Because uh, I'd be very interested. Is that today or or, or this summer? Because it's so hot here, we might as well try to be nice. Or what? It's a fairly recent decision. (laughs) How's it working out? (laughs) Not well. My blood pressure shot sky high. (laughs) Okay, well, I love that review. It's really hard to take it from there. So what we had put together, excuse me for stuttering, we had put together some ideas we might throw around on this podcast, like where the good stories come from. And uh, we all have our own ways of good stories coming to us. But I just finished Mary Helen's book, Headed for Home. And I'm very curious where that story came from. Wow. I wish I knew. <laughs> I, I think it's some part of my brain. Marion says I've got some little creature that lives in my head that every now and then just throws out some stories. Oh, how nice. I wondered if that creature might live in the attic at Pebble Hill. The creature just might. Um, I wrote the book sitting at the dining room table at Pebble Hill before it was remodeled, and now there's no more dining room table. I I find that confusing. Mm -hmm. A lot of the little stories within the larger story are truish things that happen to my family. The the crazier the thing, the more likely it was to be true. (laughs) Uh, For example, um, this isn't giving anything away, my mother really did build what she called a gaze bow, Okay. Uh, which was a gazebo. She was called a gazebo or a gazelle. Um, she built it out of scrap lumber and PVC pipe she found at an elementary school they were building. And they'd throw out the scraps, and she would go every day and say, Mary Helen, get the truck. And we would go out and pick up garbage. <laughs> and she built what my father referred to as a beer garden. It was quite large before it was over. She didn't like to mow, so she covered up as much of the backyard as she possibly could. Well, Marion, tell us about your yard. Well, I, as we speak, have tarps weighted down with rocks killing the grass in my backyard for the same reason. I don't like to mow. What are you going to grow there? Dirt. Dirt. <laughs> Gonna grow dirt. Well, I don't mow in my yard either um, because it's it's a natural yard. That's my excuse. This is why we hire people. Uh-huh. It's for your yard. I actually have not one gardener but two because I have a big yard. So this is where your money needs to go. This is why you went to school every day and taught so somebody could mow your yard. Okay, well, that's going to be really hard to do because I don't have any grass in my yard. (laughs) I know. That will be a good story. And speaking of, a story seed of mine that got planted and it has not yet developed, but I hope it does someday, is um, somebody told me they drove through a pretty house out in the country. Well, half the yard was pretty. Half the yard had been mown and half the yard had pretty little flowers, but the other half of the yard was just crawling with weeds and sticks and briars. And I I really want to know what the story is behind that half and half yard. Do you think it's one of those before and after things? (laughs) I was thinking more of a domestic fight. I think it's somebody (laughs) who lives paycheck to paycheck. And when the paycheck comes, they get some yard done. And then when the paycheck's gone, they got to wait for the next paycheck. Oh, I'm pretty sure the flowers are done by the wife. 
<laughs> and in hatefulness, she left half the yard for him. And so she can point at it constantly and say, that is your part. That's the he yard. Mm-hmm. And this is the she yard. And she tells this to the neighbors and his boss. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's it, like a contest between a husband and a wife. And one of them said, I'm sick of doing all the work around here. Yeah. Well, we have, as y'all see, we're sitting here looking at them, the he shed and the she shed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because every time I'd put something in the he shed and it was gardening stuff, a hoe, whatever, he'd say to me, that's taking up a lot of room. So I thought, hey, I know the phone number of the shed people. So the week later, I had a she shed. I hope your she shed isn't struck by lightning. No, I've seen that on TV. <laughs> Wait, what are you talking about? There's an ad on TV where the she shed gets... Cher- Cheryl's, Cheryl's she shed. Uh-huh. It's struck by lightning. They have to call some insurance agency. State Farm. Oh, State Farm. Uh-huh. Cheryl's she shed. <laughs> yes. She's getting a she shear she shed. <laughs> it's tricky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, so instead of getting rid of the men in my life, I should have just spited them? Well, yes. Yeah. Okay, hindsight. Now, see, I have a completely different theory. Okay. City limits ran through our house. Mm. So oh, for real? For real. This must be in Texas. Yeah, in, in Texas. It's a little town center, Texas. Oh. And, and for whatever reason, the city limits sign was right across the street from our house. And so I always assumed that when we went from one room to another, the population changed. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> From maybe, what to what? Well, it would have been somewhere between one and four. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we had company, and then it, it, it could tell it. anything. Um, population explosion. Yeah, it really could be. What was it at Thanksgiving? Oh, Thanksgiving. Well, if we were at the dining room table, it would have been more than if we were just in the TV room. I see. Because... Do you have to alert the mayors of the town when y'all move to the TV room? Not so far, but it made taxes a mess. But I, I, maybe maybe the people, the city makes them mow. In the oh, like they have the an city. ordinance. Yeah, and then the other side's out in the country and they don't have to mow. Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's a, that's a good thought. I'm going to have to find this house. Yeah, so see all these stories come about. I lived in an apartment as well that the city line between Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Watertown, Massachusetts, went through my apartment. And um, I was on the Watertown side. We had a joke, what's the difference in Watertown girls and trash? No? (laughs) (laughs) Trash gets picked up. (laughs) So so I wrote a story about that, actually, and it's it's in our book, Not the Moth, which is sort of the second edition of Be the Flame. And that's available on Amazon. Anybody that wants to read that story, speaking that of stories. That is an excellent book. I've read it. Is, isn't that a nice book? And we've somehow fallen from talking about our stories and seed star stories. And because I'm the academic serious one here, I... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hail to the queen. <laughs> I studied why Pat, how Pat Conroy got stories and I realize now why I'm not Pat Conroy and I listed them and the first is it's because I'm not Catholic and no nun has ever hit me with a ruler or vandalized me in any way as they did Pat Conroy. The second reason I'm not Pat Conroy is I never had a losing season because I didn't play team sports with guys at the Citadel and then third I never had a violent father or any father at all and so 
you know, I'm probably just as talented as Pat Conroy. I just haven't had his <laughs> wonderful experiences mm-hmm. for seed, seeding stories. Pat, all, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, that's what our um, mystic emeritus, Judy, used to say, that she didn't have a distressing childhood, and so she lacked the stuff for stories. <laughs> and then she would tell us about being the Methodist minister's daughter. That would be distressing. I know. <laughs> like, that's a story. My well, mama used to tell me that preacher's children were the worst children of all. Yeah. She'd say, put the weights on top of the cuckoo clock. The preacher's children are coming, and they'll pull it off the wall. <laughs> Well, our our mystic Joanne, our mystic defender, she's our Catholic, so um, she's not able to put in her two cents worth of abusive <laughs> Catholic people. But <laughs> so maybe between us all, we could be Pat, Pat Conroy. Well, did you have an abusive father? Mm-mm. No, I didn't either. <laughs> no. Well, Joanne didn't either. have an abusive father, but she had. 13 brothers and sisters. Yeah, so that's... And that's pretty abusive yeah. right there. And she said, you know, they'd sleep head to feet in the beds. There you go. That's, that's abusive. Not. That's but why she wrote the story she never had to make her bed because somebody was always in it. <laughs> where, where could somebody find that story and read it, I wonder? Well, that's in our newest, our latest cookbook called Mastering the Art of Winch Cooking. <laughs> that one, uh, The Unmade Bed, I think is the name of it. Something and how like would one get that book? I think it's available through Amazon.com. And by the way, so is your book, Mary Helen, because I looked it up, Headed for Home, and you can read about solving mysteries through seances, sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Very loosely. Yeah. You can also find some mighty good recipes, or at least suggestions of recipes in Headed for Home. You want to talk about those recipes a little bit, Mary Helen? Oh, my goodness. Are you talking about the world-famous taco guts? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, taco guts. How to make taco guts. You get a pound of hamburger meat. You get a can of Frito refried bean dip. Okay. You open the bean dip. You dump it into the hamburger meat. You scramble it. Okay. And you're done. (laughs) Okay, those are the guts, but how do you eat it? Well, you can eat it any way you want to. You could put it in a taco. Mm -hmm. You could make a taco salad. You could make a version of a frito pie, which is also very good. I'll have to tell you the frito pie recipe. Yes, please. Yeah. Let's do it. What else you can do? You can dip it. Frito pie. <laughs> All right. Frito pie is Fritos. You cut open the sack, kind of like you're doing open heart surgery. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, know, you go one down, one across, one across at the bottom. Fold it open. Okay. Got it. Take a can, well, heat it up first, but take a can of Wolf Brand Chili, heated. Mm. Pour it on top of the, of the Fritos. Then you can put some cheese, or you can shred up some Velveeta if you want to be mm-hmm. real fancy. I have a friend who says she is not a redneck because her family used Hellman's on their pear salad. <laughs> so so you, you can use Velveeta, or you can use just any kind of cheese you might have. And if you like onions, you can chop up some onions oh, yeah. on top of it. But if you don't like onions, you can leave that off. It is optional. And do you, you just eat it right out of the eat it right out, right of, the out bag. of the the sack. That reminds me very right much of, of a recipe that I put in the the winch cooking book that I got from a prisoner about how they made <laughs> prison food in the bag when somebody's parent, loved one, wife, spouse, whoever sent food that the prison authorities allowed them to keep they had a 
you know, they had it down pat how they could split up in the bag and mm-hmm. put the food in. I can't remember that recipe, but if anybody's interested, they could refer to Mastering the Art of Winch Cooking, available where? On Amazon. On Amazon. Are you asking the prisoners that don't know this recipe to get in contact with you, Marion? <coughs> There's a mastering book over there in the corner. Ah, that, that's good. All right, well, while she's looking up the mastering uh, recipe, well, I didn't say that right, but you know what I mean. Straight from the prison. I got Because we had a couple of our fans answer a query that we put out on Twitter, I do want to be sure they get their moment of fame here. We sent out a question asking our, our friends where they got their ideas for stories, and we had a couple of answers, so I'm going to share two of those from our mystic friend Clarence Dean Bonner who is the author of the book, I Talk Slower Than I Think, an antidote to helicopter parenting. He gets his stories from things he sees and hears, and he notices the little things that pass others by, therein the seeds of a story lie. And we have another mystic friend, Gita, whose work you can find on her blog, Oh Fine, Just Fine. She stresses that her stories are character-driven, that her characters speak to her, and the plot, scenery, and dialogue come straight from the characters. Sometimes she feels like characters dictate, and she just types. Well, thank you, Dean and Gita. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that back in the day, I heard on some other podcast, that's what they called being creative. You, did, you weren't creative, you had a creative. And I could be getting this all wrong, but you were just the vessel and the creative worked through you and I would love to wake up one morning and just have that happen to me I used to go to the omelet shop does anybody remember when the omelet shop was open in Auburn Mm -hmm. I used to go over there to grade compositions because once you bought a cup of coffee they just kept refilling it and I would overhear the seeds of stories in the omelet shop and I'm gonna guess that it's okay for me to say this since we've said worse on this podcast (laughs) but I was sitting there one night grading and I heard one of the waitresses at the omelet shop say some folks is so damn picky you'd think they had taste buds in their ices (laughs) and I mean there's a story that's Uh going to grow out of that Uh and um, then she went on to tell me how she she and her boyfriend snaked drains but that she had a great old big ball spot right here where the hook got hung in her hair and they had to pull her hair and all out to get the hook out. I just heard story after story after story at the omelet shop. So listening, listening, going to a place where people gather late at night. Mm-hmm. I bet that helped you grade those compositions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is not creative. I used to do the same kind of listening when I had my hair done and my favorite one was the... The hairdresser next to mine was getting a divorce, and she said, I told that judge when he said I didn't cook for him that I'd have to slap that fry daddy on the bar at the Holiday Inn because that's where he was all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eavesdropping's good. I I heard one not too long ago. Just I was back in Center, Texas, and I was shopping, I guess, and somebody I heard over in the next aisle, well, you know, He's in the pen. Mm. They weren't talking about their dog either, no. I bet you. <laughs> I was at the heart doctor with my parents about this time last year, and the receptionist asked a patient in the waiting room 
is so and so and so and so. I won't. I'll make up a name. Is Jenny Lou Baker still your contact, Mister Baker? <laughs> and he said, "Hell no! You ain't gonna be able to reach her in jail." <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the receptionist, I guess, had been trained to act as if he had just said, "Of course," or updated mm-hmm. his uh, contact. Right. Yeah, but, right. So just about anywhere you go, you can get the kernel for a story or at least the beginning of a character. I did track down from um, Mastering the Art of Winch Cooking the penitentiary burritos, and they're cooked, Mary Helen, and they, they include ramen, but you crush a bag of Doritos, but you don't let the bag tear because it's going to be your bowl. So you mix the whole thing That's up. The same in, concept. In, right, same concept. And that recipe's followed by correctional cake. If anybody would like to look <laughs> those recipes up when they get their copy of Mastering the Art of Winch well, Cooking. They could come in handy. And I believe you have a recipe in this book, Mary Helen. Yes, I have a recipe for my mother's biscuits, which until she learned how to open the womp biscuits were purely terrible. I love those womp biscuits. My mama, I think I mentioned this in... in the story, but my daddy, after they first got married, told my mama that she, she, he did not know it was possible to make homemade crackers. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were a little dense. Tell us what a want biscuit is. Well, you know, those cans that you get out of the refrigerator section at the grocery store that you take the wrapper off and just whomp them on the side. And Yep. Oh, yeah. I remember Jerry Clower saying in his neighborhood it sounded like a young war every morning. Because all the wives were hitting those biscuits against the edge of the counter. A womp war. Uh-huh. <laughs> when you talk about stories, I used to teach a class in storytelling. And we'd talk about urban legends. And there's a very famous urban legend about womp biscuits. That uh, someone had, had... Well, this woman was in her car. And all of a sudden, she heard this giant kapow. And something struck her in the back of the head really hard and she thought she'd been shot and reached back there and felt her brains coming out and just it was a terrible thing but it was i guess summer in the south and it had overheated and the womp biscuits exploded and wound up hitting her in the back of the head so are you telling me that's not true it is not true i've been hearing that story all my life and i thought it was true well it, it would have happened in many many states and at many different times and you think people many- would learn my husband is from uh, Staten Island, New York, and he's a pizza maker. And we used to have friends over, and Bob would get the pizza, pizza dough and throw it in the air and show off and make these fabulous pizzas. And one night he threw it in the air, and it hit the overhead pan <laughs> and near about killed half the guests. So anytime at that time we'd call somebody and ask them over to dinner, they'd go, are you uh, having pizza? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I bet that pizza dough was mighty stretched out after that. <laughs> no, it went as a whole blob, like oh. a bomb. You know, so it was deadly. <laughs> but Mary Helen, you said you taught, a, you taught a class in storytelling. I did. Well, we ought to just hush our mouths and let you talk a bit. Oh, well, no. It, you know, it, it's, it gets really, you start talking about things like learning about the preface and the recounting and the closing. And oh, how yuck. To do it. Yeah, it's just. Uh, they like story arc and stuff? 
Yeah, yeah mm. and things Did you like use narrative fidelity and narrative coherence and... I believe there was a term called narrative. I can't probability profluence. Profluence. Look it up. It confused me so much when I taught fiction writing. Yeah, I thought, how am I supposed to judge them on their narrative profluence when I don't know what that means? What does it mean? I think it just means that <clears throat> the narrative makes sense. It's a logical narrative. Oh well, I love to listen to the you know the Moth that podcast. Yeah, yeah. And those are all storytellers, and um, they do give them a little test before they let them on. Their 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 line has to catch the people that judge who gets to get on and speak. But they're fascinating stories. They're very good, and they travel around. You can go hear them in person. We ought to do that sometime. Yeah. What? The, who are the these Moth? People? It's called the, the Moth, Moth Story, Story Hour. Hour. And it's, it's a podcast. It's a podcast that lasts an hour, and usually there are three storytellers, and they're just telling stories from their lives. Uh, uh, and it's, um, I think the stories have to be true. Yeah, they get up and do it in front of an audience, yeah, too, so yeah, they're they brave, do. brave mm-hmm. people. Are, are we still talking about the seeds for stories, how we get stories, or are we moved what on? What would you to like that? us to be talking no, about? No, I don't know. I'm just so confused. Are we supposed to have a recipe, or are we talking <laughs> We're talking about a podcast, and the people get up and tell stories yeah, from and, their and lives. And you learn, you know, stories beget stories. You know, yeah. so you think mm, maybe, you know, I don't think there's any way to be off that. this topic on this podcast. <laughs> well, I in the same story about growing, uh, not growing up, but about living in um, Watertown and Cambridge simultaneously. I wrote about meeting this person in Harvard Square, and I thought that he was a street person because he was dressed in rags, and he would sit out on the, in the street, and he would tell these fabulous stories. He would tell modern-day tales of Shakespeare, and he would rock and move while he told those stories, and I was like, man, this guy is so interesting. I'm going to give him an apple or a dollar, and then I saw a picture of him in People magazine, and he's a professional storyteller with a storytelling degree from Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> I was chuffed. <laughs> Did you give him an apple? Not after that. <laughs> or a dollar? Yeah. He didn't actually take my apple or my dollar. Oh, He I did see. not allow me to condescend to him. But there, you know, how was I to know? I was just a know-it-all 17-year-old. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I'm continuing with reading Pat Conroy, a, a good storyteller. He was saying, this is something I'm not good at doing, that when he signs books, he lets people wait in line forever because he talks to each person that buys a book and he wants to hear their story. And if it's a good one, he goes, consider that stolen. That's nice. And that's kind of how I find my stories. I don't really, I'm not good at listening to people unless they just happen to be so quirky. And then that's my story and they can consider that stolen. Uh, And... One of our books, Be the Flame, well, our very first book, I stole this story from a fellow swimmer who had been to a funeral. And I want to read the first line because it's the line that made me write the story. John Leroy put a gun to his head and blew out his brains last Wednesday. Brenda, John Leroy, Leroy's fourth wife, had thrown him out of the double wide a couple of weeks earlier. <laughs> now, who wouldn't read that? Yeah. yeah. But you stole that story. I stole it. So you didn't actually. The other story I stole that I love stealing, but I've been in trouble about it, is someone who lives on the Okoe had this beautiful mm. wilderness of a yard, and the people next door started cultivating their yard and putting all manner of 
concrete frogs that faced the wilderness house. <laughs> and she was irate about this, and they became, you know, neon frogs and painted concrete frogs and frogs on sticks. And so I said to her, consider this stolen. She goes, no, 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 I'm going to write it. So I hope she has, because I sure did. And that story's in one of the books and published. <laughs> so, yeah, you better watch your stories. <laughs> Gail, I believe you might have stolen a story about some fossils. Oh, I was just thinking of the fossil well. story. And almost, we almost had a, well, we actually did have a little slip up on that story, because what was the, slip the slip up was that you would change the name to protect the guilty and somehow another before it got put in the first draft of the book in one of the spots in the story the name went back to the real name oh yeah remember that yeah but if we're sticking to our theme i know truman capote got um in cold blood from a newspaper clipping that he read and how many of us have found stories, have been inspired to write a story from a newspaper clipping. I know I have. It looks like Mystic Mary might have. Well, no, but I thought it would be so easy to find uh, stories hidden in the newspapers, and I'm just going to take a second. I spent a minute reading over a newspaper one day, and I was like, man, there are a couple of good stories here. And oddly enough, the two I'm going to share are both from the sports section, which I don't usually read. But one of them is about a golfer whose name I can't pronounce, and he became a golfer because when he was a little toddler, he took a swig from a soda bottle that contained rat poisoning, and it gave him a terrible stutter and nervous disorder, and he became a golfer to overcompensate for the problems from the rat poisoning. And did we look into how the rat poisoning got in the soda bottle? Well, there's the story, Morning Glory. Take it away. (laughs) And the other one is about some, a local person, Chuck person, in fact, and it said, uh, Here's a nice little sentence we could all write about. He grew up poor and suddenly came into millions of dollars without a clue how to manage it. So there's, there's some stories right there. Like I think just about anybody could take either one of those and I'm create happy, a whole world around I'm it. I'm happy to say he did not get jail time. I well, do know his story. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kin to him? No, I'm not kin to him. But I, 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 he's a great guy. But unfortunately misstepped <laughs> I like reading the line, the bylines that are put in the wrong place and also I like reading uh, the ad page lost and found that's where I get a lot of my fodder what, for example one of my favorite is <laughs> large white female found wandering on highway 280 <laughs> <laughs> I saw one for a lost dig one time a lost what? dig a lost dig <laughs> a lost dig 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 <laughs> Last huh. seen in some neighborhood. Oh, it must have been. Okay, dog. got it. Figured it out. <laughs> now, now I'm sad. Well, some are slower. My, <laughs> I was still trying to figure it out. I think slower than I talk. Um, <laughs> one of my favorites was a few Christmases ago in the OA News, there was a found baby Jesus. <laughs> and I actually included a recipe to go along with that newspaper clipping in the ploy of cooking. Another Beautiful cookbook by the Mystic Order of East Alabama Fiction Writers. Available? I don't know. It used to be available on Amazon. Is it out of print? Excuse me. All of our books are available on Amazon. So Ploy's not out of print? It is not out of print, but you have to act fast. There are only a few copies left. Okay. All right. We'll reprint it when we get rich from selling all these books. Is it wrong that I see things in obituaries? No, no. No, that's good. No. That's good. Please share. Continue. (coughs) Well, just every now and then, there'll be a good one. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. It, they have some some description of how Daddy liked crawfish hunting and macrame. <laughs> <laughs> I, I th- that wasn't quite it. I think it was frog gigging and macrame. And I, I thought well, those that, could be kind of similar. That's a Renaissance man. I like this promotional one I saw in the paper one time for they were the art association was going to have an auction and all the august uh, members of the art association were standing there holding pictures and it said um, fun for the performing farts. <laughs> <laughs> the Auburn Plainsman one time and we're not talking about seeds I suppose but I. I did enjoy something. Uh, the Auburn Plainsman was doing something about going to the art museum and we have this wonderful art museum and go to the art museum and expose yourself to art. <laughs> no. Now, the library is where you go in Auburn to expose yourself. We have a long, long history of people exposing themselves in the library here. Really? Which library? The, the University? Ralph, the Ralph. The, the RBD. Yeah, the we, Ralph. We just had almost every Sunday night, if you went to the library on Sunday night, it would be surrounded. I feel Why does Mary want to know which library? I feel left out. I think she's writing been, it down. I've, I've never <laughs> been flashed in the library. Well, one of the guys that went after was one of my colleagues. Really? Yeah, right when I first moved to Auburn, he came flying through, sixth floor of the Haley Center, flying through, grabbed a bunch of stuff, went down the stairs, the police came up next, I'm just sitting in my office thinking, huh. Way not to attract attention to yourself. <laughs> Welcome to Auburn. <laughs> my sweet, sweet, sweet babysitter came over, called me one Saturday and said, can I come over and just talk? And I said, sure, come on. And she came over, and she was visibly shaken, and she'd been sitting in the library studying, and a man came and sat down beside her, and he cleared his throat or did something to make her look over, and he had exposed himself in a book oh, gosh. next to her. And I said, Laura, just <laughs> slam the book shut. <laughs> just slam it shut if this ever happens to you again. <laughs> I think we're off topic. Wait. What's that? It's time for Mystic Minutes. Moments. Moments. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for Mystic Moments. (laughs) That was not a very loud fanfare. This is when we take just a brief moment to tell what we're up to in our creative endeavors. And Mary Helen, as our guest, what are you up to right now in your creative endeavors? Well, I have kind of a secret project where I'm going to write a song. Oh, you wrote a song for us once. Uh, you did, and you sang I, it. I did write a song for y'all once. It was one of my better. It was um, excellent. Better uh, efforts. And you, you're welcome to sing it today. We'll take well, a minute I, I out of our minute. I don't think I have the words anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I can muster. You, you know what? If I write country western though, and like my my best song was "I'm Tired of Being Lonesome," but it's better than being tired of you. <laughs> I, I don't quite know what this next one's going to be called, but. Uh, I have someone in Nashville who's interested in working. Oh, really? Me, so so when it's cool. when it's ready for uh, the listening audience, we'll we'll share it through our Twitter or Facebook feed for the for the whole world. Well, that's intimidating. Yeah, because the whole world keeps up with us on Twitter and Facebook. I'd best slow down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait, Mary Helen. It'll be great. Marion, what are you up to? What I was trying to do before I got here today, and one of the reasons I was running late, is I'm trying to write my column. Mm-hmm. for the citizen of East Alabama that was due yesterday, 
but she'll still accept it if she has it when she gets to her office in the morning. And I'm trying to write it about a book you're also reading. I'm trying to write it as an homage to Margaret Wrinkle's late migrations. So that's what I was working on right before I got here today. All right. What's Gail up to, the queen? Well, Gail's been traveling with her, well, not with, but because of her very gifted son, Rivers Langley had a show in Victoria, Canada. But the mystic moment I want to tell you about happened in Seattle. And that was my traveling companion insisted on staying this real fancy hotel. And we got up early. We were going to be taking the ferry over to Victoria. And so I put on the only long sleeve blouse I'd packed. And I got in the elevator, and there were three women in the elevator, and they said to me, hey, where are you from? And I went, uh, well, Auburn, Alabama. And they said, well, welcome. So I get <laughs> down to the floor that has the coffee and the breakfast, and I walk out of the elevator, and another woman said, so glad to see you. And I said, well, thank you. I'm glad to see you, too. And then, actually, three more women told me, hey, and welcome. So when I lined up to get my coffee, the woman in front of me turns around and goes, oh, welcome. Which meetings are you going to? And I said, I'm not going to any meetings. And she said, well, you have on teal. And I looked around, and every single person <laughs> in the lobby has on teal. And they're all cancer survivors. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I felt like a big fake. Uh, it was either go up to my room and put on short sleeves or continue to wear my teal shirt. So anyway, th I was thinking the people in uh, this town were friendlier than Southerners, which I found highly impossible. But every <laughs> single person told me hello. <laughs> uh, oh. Well, that's a moment. And there might be a story in there. Somewhere Are you planning to write a poem, perhaps, about wearing teal? I'm afraid God will smite me for being an <laughs> imposter. <laughs> so I'm trying to uh, get over this. And you said you weren't Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a mystic moment. Yay! <laughs> well, in preparation for my travels coming up, my husband and I are going to England and Scotland. I went to Atlanta to get my hair colored, which I have to keep seeing Charlene. And I always have a good time with Charlene, but my friends Kim and his friend from France, Fabrice, met me, and we walked along the Beltline in Atlanta, and it was so much fun. We really did. And they were getting ready to go to Philadelphia, Mississippi, where Kim is from, to, to this some fair that's over there. And Kim was telling Fabrice, now you can't say any of your political feelings to anyone <laughs> in Philadelphia, Mississippi. You just have to keep it to yourself. And Fabrice goes, but I am French, and I always tell the truth. So if they ask me, if they say something to me, I said, I am French, and if you want me to tell you the truth, I will. And he said, you'll never, you'll, you'll be surprised how many times people go, well, that's okay, don't talk. <laughs> so, Nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> well, if we're telling moments like that, I got a Barnabas Collins t-shirt yesterday. Really? Mm -hmm. Where? My friend Thrifting? Bill Weiss sent it to me. How nice. Isn't that sweet? Now, Mary Helen, do you have a mystic Mary Helen moment? 
She's writing a country song. Or right. West country She's song. already told it to us. I just <laughs> got back from London. <laughs> she was doing the what I'm writing, which I did what I'm writing, but then it looked like we were telling special things that happened. Well, in true mystic fashion, none of us really know what a mystic <laughs> moment is. I it's whatever you want it to be. Okay. And it's, since I'm facilitating this podcast i came unprepared i'm just working on the same stuff i've been working on but that's good because it's consistent i'm writing short brief um, essays about mostly animals and i'm plotting on with my blog called i married a music man no not, that's not the name of it a movie i married man. a movie man but i had to take a break from my movie man marriage because we took a break from watching movies to watch the entire second season of is it Big Little Lies? Oh, yeah, that's it's so good. so good and <gasps> uh-huh. creepy and fun. I won't tell any more than that. No, I love it, too. But, yeah, it's, it's a lot great. of fun. Well, when that music <clears throat> goes off and we're about to have the mystic moment, I always expect it to be something like when Cowboy Carl or Ricardo the Mailman or Miss Yvonne oh, come to Pee Playhouse. Playhouse. And, yeah. And John B. Yeah. Globy and Cherry. <laughs> Cherry. <laughs> hey, and this is totally off the mystic topic but if if any of you have not seen peewee herman's christmas special it has it has a name but you can just google peewee herman's christmas special i highly recommend it it's it's got Cher singing a version of little drummer boy that you oh it's not Cher. i'm so sorry it's it's grace jones (laughs) oh my gosh even better Easily, easily so confused. And share, sing a little drummer boy, and you'll never forget it. Oh well, I have a recommendation. Okay, there is a YouTube video of a Norwegian woman <laughs> who has trained herself to run like a horse. <laughs> I've seen that. Isn't it incredible? It's amazing. It is amazing. Her name is Alia something or other, but she jumps over hurdles. For it's, what purpose? She just taught herself to run, run like, like a horse. A horse. <laughs> I'll show it to you in a minute. Oh, heck yeah. Well, after this podcast. Well, it's, it's, if it's we a, were like Joe Rogan and on the air, we could pull it up on the screen right now, but everybody will just have to have to envision it. So I'm looking at, we actually write outlines for these podcasts, and we have been talking about these seeds, and there's also a little suggestion here that we talk about advice, story writing advice, good and bad that we've heard. Has anybody ever had any good or bad advice they want to share? I have some advice. I think it's good advice. And that is, if you want to be a great writer, you have to be a great reader. Otherwise, even with talent, you're running in place. I love that advice as an avid reader. And I almost didn't want to read Margaret Wrinkle's book because I knew that I would feel about it the way I felt about it. It hit so close to home. It felt like it felt like I was writing it as I was reading it. And everybody said, nope, just go ahead and read it. It's going to be okay. And it was. It was good. It was beautiful. But I did kind of get weepy at many, many points. The Beatitudes of the Imperfect Family, mm-hmm. just was, that one hit especially it was fantastic. Have you finished it? No, I'm dulling it out like like Godiva chocolates. Yeah, I sat up and finished it last night. So, yeah, reading a lot. I just finished The Power. It's really good. It's women get all of this power in their palms, and they take control of the world. Do you read a lot, Mary Helen? I read a lot. Right now I'm on a Richard III kick. Oh. Oh, yes. <laughs> and who you met? I Well, I was fortunate enough through an odd set of circumstances to meet the woman who was the lead 
analyst on Richard III's skeleton's DNA <laughs> and spent some time with her, and she gave a little private lecture to three of us on, on the whole process of it. And we just all agreed that Richard III was much maligned yeah. and was really not a bad guy and that Shakespeare just wrote him up because the tutors were paying him to write him up as a villain. You know, yeah. you do things for money. Sure. So, so uh, Richard III, the whole story is amazing. If anybody wants to see it, her name is Turi King, T-U-R-I King. And she's got some things on YouTube and you can see how they found Richard III in, under a parking lot. Hmm. Yeah, that that's you met like, in London when you were in London. We we met her in Leicester. Oh, the phone rings and we're all going. That nuts. was the discombobulated mystic. Um, <laughs> you could say that's, that. That's yeah. right. Um, but you ask about advice we'd gotten. Yeah. And I actually got some advice from Mystic Marion, who's looking at me like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, I, well, I don't know. You could you can tell me. Um, Mary, Mystic Marion's advice to me was never to take a creative writing class. It would ruin me. Mm. That's pretty clever. Don't we do creative writing classes occasionally for money? Well, we call them that. I didn't even remember telling Mary Helen that, but I... But you did. Good advice that I've given myself is I don't show anything anybody I'm I don't show anybody what I'm writing until I'm finished with it, because once I start getting feedback from people who aren't the person writing it, it messes me up so badly that I can't keep going. So that would be another piece of advice. Well, you're you're the only person I showed what I was writing to as I was writing it. When I think of what I said, you have to be a great reader. Most of my friends who are great readers always talk about how they'd curl up with a book when they were a young girl. And that was not my experience at all. Whenever I was assigned books by Mrs. Lois Miller, who tried very hard to make us all great readers, I tried to remember some of the books we had to read for her. They were Animal Farm, The Scarlet Letter, Tale of Two Cities, Brave New World, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and etc. But I would divide the number of pages by the days I had to read it, and I'd read that exact number. So I was not a great reader. But when I came to college, I had this brilliant cousin who was probably the greatest reader. And he had a book sitting on the bunk bed. That was his. He, had, he slept on the top bunk bed, and on the bottom, he had a book. I guess it's a, uh, his bookcase. But this book was called Temple of Gold. I'm not particularly proud of starting my reading life with Temple of Gold because it was written by... William Goldman, not Golding, Lord of the Flies, not that, but William Goldman, that I thought was a brilliant writer, and really he was, because he wrote adaptive screenplays. And so Hollywood grabbed me at that point, reading Temple of Gold. He wrote uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, among many That's other, good. The Bridge Too Far, The Princess Bride, so he was not my a slackerd. That was my first beginning as a reader. But now I think I'm a better reader because I read John Irving. And, um, of course, I mentioned Pat Conroy and um, a lot of the South American writers like Ali and Day. So I've come far from Temple of Gold. But I do highly recommend, if you want to be a writer, to be a reader. And I really love books about writing. Pat Conroy has a really good one. Oh, his is his reading life, not his writing life. 
Pat Conroy's reading life is excellent, and I think we've mentioned Stephen King's book before, how much we love on writing. You just feel like you're talking to your best friend. Francis Prose has a beautiful book called Reading Like a Writer, which helps not just your reading. I shouldn't say help, but, you know, it's a great book to read about reading and writing. But then sometimes I get my hands on books that are so prescriptive that they're sort of like your advice, Marion, don't take a creative writing class. They're so, they can be so bad, you know, it's like, here's what you need to do at this point of the story. And at this point, these two characters need to have an opposition. And at this point, they need to, and that My problem with creative writing writing classes was mostly that the way they were conducted, and I loved them. I took every creative writing class I could. Do I think after the first one that they helped me a whole lot? Not really. But. My problem was that you, your feedback was coming more from your classmates, and they weren't necessarily any better writers or as good as you were. Mm-hmm. So you had all these people kind of confusing the issue about the direction you needed to go in or what the strengths and weaknesses were. I didn't find it to be an effective way to learn to be a better writer if you were already a natural writer, except that the right creative writing courses could probably make you the right contacts to help you publish. I took one really good creative writing course in college, and it was taught by Lloyd Schwartz, who would sit elegantly on his desk, and he had long fingers and legs and a beautiful voice, and it turned out he's the NPR opera critic. And my mother was so impressed. She's like, you're taking a class with Lloyd Schwartz? Oh, I've heard him. Yeah, he's, he's got a beautiful voice. And he had he, he critiqued. He didn't let other people critique our work. It was an excellent class, but I was in no point in my life to be working on my creative writing. The best thing that came out of creative writing classes for me was that we read a book called Understanding Fiction by Robert Penn Warren, by Brooks and Warren, Cleanth Brooks mm-hmm. and Robert Penn Warren. And after we read each story, we looked at what made the story good. And they were divided up into character, plot, imagery, and so forth. And that helped, but that goes back to what Gail said, to be a good writer, be a good reader. And if you don't know how to look at a piece of writing and see the image patterns, the character Mm -hmm. development, the word choices, it doesn't matter how many books you read until you learn to look at the ingredients in good writing. Well, I grew up as a painter, so I am the mystic illuminator, illustrator. And um, I read, um, growing up, I was an avid reader of uh, comic books, of course, because I like the pictures. And I'm kind of more of a visual person, so I've, I've been doing better about writing, but I'm coming to writing kind of later. I can draw, and I can paint. But writing is a little bit more difficult for me. So I enjoy being part of the mystics. But Margie, you're a great writer. And the thing that, you're, that you've got nailed down is finding those funny, exact funny moments in just a regular story, like your deranged eggs. You know, like yeah. I've botched a million recipes, <laughs> but I've never written a story about it that came out to be so wonderful as your deranged eggs. So you've really got an eye for the funny little bits. Thank you, Mary. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. I don't think I would have ever gotten through literature classes without Classics Illustrated. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I also read very inappropriate books at a very young age. Me too. Like what? Well, you know, when you're in second, third grade, you really should not be reading Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, oh I, yes, you should. Oh, I read Fanny Hill. <laughs> oh, well, now we had, at one point we had a teacher who sent a note home to, that we had to get a parent to sign uh-huh. that we could read this book. 
I don't even remember what the book was. Huh. Well, and my dad signed it, and, and he wrote a little note under it that my teacher's name was Portia. And he says, Portia, Mary Helen can read anything, including what she has found in the bottom of my closet. All right. <laughs> God, I want to know what the book was. Uh, Marion, what did you read? I know you did some well, really I read, naughty things. I read Fanny Hill, and then I remember getting in trouble in Home Ec because I was reading Peyton Place, and I had to go be put in the ironing board room <laughs> in solitary confinement. And the Home Ec teacher says, this is what we have to do to separate the sheep from the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd already gone. The first drive-in movie I ever went to was Peyton Place with my mom and daddy. <laughs> and, I mean, I'd already seen the movie, so reading the book didn't seem like something I shouldn't do. But she took that right up. And Fanny Hill was brought to Mama by a neighbor, and Mama didn't like anything that was filthy, as she called mm -hmm. it. So she stuffed it in the recipe drawer. Mm -hmm. But I read it every day while they were busy at the store. I knew she couldn't get away during the rush hour, so I'd stand over the drawer and read Fanny Hill. So that was your bottom of the closet. That was my mm -hmm. bottom of the closet. There wasn't anything at all interesting in the bottom of my parents' closets, but Fanny Hill was in the recipe drawer. We, my parents kept two books behind a lock and key and one was in cold blood and the other was a beautiful Audubon book and we were allowed to look at the Audubon book if we would wash our hands beforehand but we were not allowed to look at it in cold blood <laughs> so of course I read it as soon as I could get my hands on it and it gave me terrible nightmares it was terrifying I went to the beach with my really good friend Judy Jones and we're both readers we hardly exchange words we just sit on the beach and read and I was reading, she was reading In Cold Blood, and I was reading things my girlfriend and I have argued about, which is hilarious. Mm -hmm. One of the funniest books I've ever that read. Funny. That was hilarious. And so I'm just cracking up laughing like a hyena, and it's scaring her more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how are we doing for time, Gail? I don't want to bore our readers. And Okay, we're good. So, um, so... I, we've heard all this good advice and, and bad advice. Any, is there any more bad advice out there? I thought that might be kind of a gold mine, but we got off into our reading. I have some, I, I want to go with good advice because I want to say something about, about authors reading from their books for the audience. And that is, I just recently went to a book reading and the author's quite good, but he read three full short stories. And by the time he was finished, my toes were cramping and my brain was dead. I have no idea what the third story is about. So I would advise authors <laughs> who need it from me, like Stephen King, I'm sure is listening to this, but I'm sure he is. <laughs> I, I would advise them to talk about their books and read passages from them. Because if you read the entire book, why should your audience buy it? Yeah, Gail, we, we had a, an event not too long ago in Fayette, Alabama, and in preparation for the event, Gail sent us all an email, and she told us that we needed to read excerpts from our stories. And then, because she thinks we're all idiots, she defined excerpts for us <laughs> yes, because, out of the dictionary. Because one member of our, our team who's not here, and I won't mention Joanne's name, is... 
she will read literally six pages and take everybody's time. So I was just trying to give everybody an idea of what an excerpt might be. Remember in that reading, Joanne, being the sensitive soul she is, she had a timer set and she was on the money on that one. She (laughs) was. Okay, I'm I'm done. Yeah, the timer went ding and she sat down. Some good advice I would say to writers, and of course all good advice has to be taken with a grain of salt, just like bad advice does. But we had a sign in the English department before I retired. When you got off the elevator, there was a big sign that said, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. Oh, I love it. And I have found that to be an absolutely true statement that um, if you, you know, I would, before I turned anything over for somebody else to read, I think I'd proofread it and make sure I didn't have any adverbs that didn't need to be there. Of course, it's never to say you can't use an adverb, but weigh them wisely. All right. Well, I know that everyone in the listening world is sad to hear that our podcast on stories, sort of, is coming to a close. And we've had a lot of fun, and we've had fun with Mary Helen, and maybe she'll come back. Thank you, Mary Helen. So... How would anyone go about contacting us, the Mystic Order? Marion, how would someone contact us? They could find us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. They could go to the Mystic Order, or they could, um, of East Alabama Fiction Writers, or they could find us on Twitter at the Mystics with an S pod. They could find us on YouTube.com slash the Mystics pod. Or they could drop us a line at themysticspod at gmail.com. You can contact, contact us directly to schedule readings, or you can order our books, which are available on Amazon. And that um, Gail Sun Rivers Langley, the famous podcaster, told us a little bit about branding, and that's why our most of our social media is under the Mystics Pod, and there is an S on that Mystics. But we had set up our Facebook page long before we were doing a podcast, and that's why it's the outlier. So you can just find us very easily um, by those things Marion said. We're coming to the end of season one. This is our penultimate podcast for season one, and we will be resuming season two on January 9th. January 9th. January 9th. This is number 11 of season one, and we have number 12 coming up. It's going to be on the wonderful subject of islands. And so um, speaking of exposing yourself, I think all these women have on an island. So <laughs> did, did you say we've all exposed ourselves on an island? Not me. I think she Not said Not me, that. just you guys. Mary Helen, how do people get in touch with you if they want to invite you to come speak somewhere or just chat with you? Well, I have a Facebook page, Mary Helen Brown, Headed for Home. And um, you can also contact me, email brownm8, which I think is an Auburn thing. They said Mary Helen and said eight instead of H. So I don't, I don't know. So it's brownm8 at auburn.edu. Well, all right. Oh, Marion has something to say. One thing I'd like to add is that Mary Helen's book was published by Solomon and George Publishers and has the um, beautiful cover, a most beautiful cover, that I, we can't show you on a podcast, but I think that if you look the book up without even reading it, you'll want to buy it because the cover's so beautiful. There you go. Well, if you've enjoyed this podcast, as usual, please rate, review, and subscribe. And remember, be the flame, not, not the, the moth. moth.